1, Luke chapter 1, the passage that we will be focusing our time on this morning is verses 46 through 56, Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 56, and as you turn there, let us turn to the Lord one more time and ask Him to be with us this morning as we give attention to and pay heed to His holy, inspired, and infallible Word. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is for us to gather. What a privilege it is for us as your saints to sing of the salvation that is granted to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That the sins which so easily beset us have been set aside, have been done away with, as we have been crucified with Christ on the cross. That we can now walk in newness of life with new hearts and new spirits. And that we can sing, even as Mary sung this morning in our passage, that you are magnificent. That you are the Savior of those who humble themselves and turn to the Lord. That you are a, great, a God who is great and mighty and that you pay attention to the cries of your people, and that you meet them in the midst of their hardship and their turmoil, and you grant them life according to your word and promise. Such a marvelous thing for us to be able to gather this morning to worship you, even as we think of the communion service this morning and the communion that we have with you because of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made on the cross. Would you impress it upon our hearts this morning? We're thankful for it, and we pray this in your name. Amen. I trust that you have turned to Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 56 this morning, but I want to begin our time by looking at a different text of Scripture to introduce our message for this morning and that passage of scripture is Psalm 113. And so if you'd like to keep your finger in Luke chapter 1 and flip over to Psalm 113, you are welcome to, or you are also welcome to sit and listen as I read it aloud to you. Psalm 113 verse 1 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren womb a home, uh, I'm sorry, the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Christmas is such a joyous season because we are granted the opportunity, unlike any other time throughout the year, even in our secular culture, to hear the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere we go. 
as we shop in stores and as we sit at tables in restaurants, more often than not, there is Christmas music on the radio. And we hear among the old-time classic Christmas songs from Bing Crosby and Dean Martin, those old hymns that exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Songs like Joy to the World and Angels We Have Heard on High and even the one we sang this morning, What Child Is This, still rings out during the Christmas season as we shop and as we eat in public. It is this time of year, I imagine, where we see a glimpse of that great day when the praises of the Lord will go up continually from the multitude of nations and the angels and the elders in Revelation chapter 7. It is this time of year, beloved, where we get to sing of the praises of our King as He has taken on flesh and is born in a manger as a baby. And so my desire this morning is to spend the next 40 minutes or so entering into the throng of the heavenly hosts that sing the praises of our Lord and lifting up the name of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ with you together. My desire this morning is to take a cue from Mary and to magnify the Lord using her hymn of praise in Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 56 as our sheet music this morning. We've already begun to do this in our lighting of the Advent candles. We have already begun to do this in our songs of praises to the Lord Jesus. We have already began to do this in our reading of scriptures and the prayers that we have offered and we will continue to do this even as we observe communion this morning. And so what I want to do is to continue to ride this peaceful stream of the praise of God and to consider Mary's hymn entitled, The Magnificat, for the Lord is magnificent. And we see it this morning in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1. Verse 46 of Luke 1 says this, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. To remind us this morning, Mary finds herself in the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah, 
praising the Lord not only for the baby that God gifted to Elizabeth, but in reverse, Elizabeth praising the Lord for the gift of the baby that he has given to Mary. And so this morning we see that Mary's response to Elizabeth is that Mary sings a song of praise. If you're following along this morning, your first fill-in for this morning is that Mary magnifies the Lord. Mary magnifies the Lord, and we see it in verses 46 and 47. It says this, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary, having the proclamation of Gabriel further confirmed by Elizabeth, is taken back by the magnificent grace and mercy of Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. Why should someone so insignificant, so lowly, be the chosen vessel to bring the most significant and exalted one into the world? And to this reality, Mary responds with a hymn of praise. Mary magnifies the Lord. The Greek word there for magnify is the word megaluno. And it means to show strength with the tongue. Mary's desire is to praise the Lord, to give words to her awe and amazement of the nature of Yahweh. That is to say that Mary puts a spotlight on the magnitude of God's character. Her aim here is not to try to make something small appear larger, like we might think of the typical use of the word magnify. Mary isn't looking through a microscope or a magnifying glass to see the fine details of God's grace too small to be seen by the naked eye. No, rather she is, she is seeking to make something larger than life appear relatable by giving words to it. Mary's desire is to speak of the magnificence, of the grandeur of God in order to bring our attention to it. She takes her cue from many of the Psalms this morning, which we will see she does often throughout this hymn of praise. One of those Psalms is Psalm 34, verse 1 through 3, which you can find on the insert in your bulletin. Where the psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Mary's desire this morning is that we might exalt the name of the Lord together with her. Recognizing the abundance of God's grace causes Mary to sing, as it should. Mary is no different than we are. 
She is blessed beyond measure by God to receive the greatest blessing in human history. And the enormity of that blessing causes her to sing praises to the Lord. And what we see throughout the text is that Mary gives us a literal litany of reasons the Lord should be praised. Let me just highlight them for you this morning throughout our text. Notice in verse 48 of Luke chapter 1 that one of the reasons we ought to magnify the Lord is that he has looked upon our humble estate. Verse 49, he is mighty. Verse 49 again, he is holy. Verse 50, he is merciful. Verse 51, he is strong. Verse 53, he fills the hungry. Verse 54, he helps. Verse 55, he speaks. All reasons this morning that we ought to praise the Lord together with Mary. And having highlighted the manifold greatness of the character of God, what I'd like to do this morning is to look and focus in on one aspect that Mary pulls out this morning in her hymn of praise because I believe it is particularly impactful for us as God's creatures and His servants. What we find is that Mary starts her exaltation with this reality. Notice it with me in verse 48. Back up actually just to verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For, verse 48, he has looked upon the humble estate of his servants. The word for there at the beginning of verse 48 is the reason for Mary's praise. And the reason Mary praises the Lord first and foremost is because the Lord looks upon the humble estate of his servants. This idea is then further fleshed out throughout the rest of the hymn. And so the question that I'd like to ask this morning and the question I asked in the quiet of my own heart this past week in my study is what does it mean that the Lord looks upon the humble? The Lord looks upon the humble. The word there for looks means to take regard for or to pay special attention to. It would seem that this reality is the basis of the rest of God's mighty and strong and merciful character. For what good is it, beloved, if our God is mighty and strong, merciful and gracious, yet He pays no regard for the weak and the reckless of His creatures? There are many a God's, lowercase g, in many a man-made religion who are either uninterested in humanity or annoyed by them. We see this classic, uh, we see a classic example of this in Elijah's confrontation with the prophets of Baal. 
Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18, which can be found on page 279 in the Chair Bible. 1 Kings chapter 18. As you turn there, allow me to set the context here a bit. Elijah is in somewhat of a conflict with Ahab, who is the most wicked king of Israel in Israel's history. It says of King Ahab that he provoked the Lord more than any other king in Israel's history. And at the beginning of his reign, he begins to turn away from the Lord and towards the prophets of Baal in order to receive his counsel and instruction. He goes so far even to marry the wicked queen, Queen Jezebel, who has a particular penchant for persecuting God's people in Israel. And so Elijah here in 1 Kings chapter 18 goes to Ahab and tells him to call all the people of Israel to Mount Carmel in order that he might show the insignificance of the gods of the pagans and the significance and might and strength of the God of Israel. And we see this in verse 26. It says this, It says, and they took the bull that was given them, that is the prophets of Baal, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Verse 29. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. Hear this, beloved. No one paid attention. Jump down to verse 36. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stone, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord is. He is God. The Lord, He is God. There is a stark difference, brothers and sisters, 
and the gods of the pagan nations and the God of Israel. God hears our cries. God attends to his people. God answers us when we cry out to him in prayer, humbling ourselves before the Lord and seeking his deliverance. God is not like the gods, little g, of the nations. God is mindful of his creation. He pays attention to them like a loving father to a daughter's distress. When Israel was buckling under the pressure of slavery in Egypt and they cried out to the Lord, God looked upon his people and delivered them. Listen, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, during those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Here's the truth of the matter, beloved. As we sit here this morning, God pays attention to us. God is among us. God is with us wherever we go. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 23 says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. God sees all things. God hears all things. And God hears our cries for help and he attends to them. And as the people dwelt in great darkness, Matthew chapter 4 verse 16, God enters into humanity to shine his great light upon Mary and through Mary to the nations. You see, it is not only Mary that God is considering here in our passage. It is not only Mary whom God looks upon or pays attention to. God is considering the plight of all humanity in his visitation with Mary. God is bringing about the Savior of the world. The one who will save us from our sins and rebellion against the Lord God. Mary exalts the Lord because the Lord looks upon her and pays attention to her in her humble state. And in so doing, he meets the needs of all those who humble themselves before the Lord and cry out to him for mercy. Mary is significant because in Mary, God brings about the Savior of all humanity. Notice it in verse 46 of our text for this morning, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Certainly, 
God was Mary's Savior. But again, Mary takes a page out of the Psalms here and relates and exalts in the salvation of our Lord. Psalm 68, 74, 85, 98, and so on and so forth. And she directs our attention specifically to the saving nature of our God. You see, God is not merely one who looks upon the state of humanity. God is one who looks and then acts. God takes the initiative. God swoops down and picks us up. He does not allow us to continue to wallow in the mud. He bends down and he takes us in his arms and he wipes off our faces. You see, beloved, it is not only that God knows us and he does. It is not only that God takes interest in us and he does. It is not only that God hear us, God hears us, and he does. But furthermore, it's that God acts for us. He acts upon our behalf. Notice this with me in our text this morning throughout verses 49 through 55. 49, the Lord has done great things for me and holy is his name. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. And he has given, uh, he has helped the servants of Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Verse 55, he has spoken to us through the fathers. God is an active God. He does great things. He shows great strength. He has brought down the mighty. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has helped us. And he has done so through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary certainly could regale us with the tales of God's interventions and victories throughout the history of Israel. And some we have already seen this morning. For anyone who knew the Old Testament would immediately remember the triumph of the Lord over Pharaoh in Egypt. Or God's gracious provision of manna through the wilderness. Or the conquests of Canaan. Or the humiliation of the prophets of Baal in Israel. Or even the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. All of these things came to Mary's mind as she is exalting in what God has done and continues to do for his people. You see, beloved, the God of the Old Testament was mighty to save, and he continues to save. God is not absent. God is intimately involved in each one of our lives. And God proves himself strong and mighty again and again and again. What I find most interesting 
is that most criticism of Christianity and of the God of the Bible is that God does nothing in respect to the suffering of the downcast and the downtrodden. For most who refuse to believe in God, their greatest criticism is that God is silent, that God is absent, that God does not care. Yet what we find throughout the telling of Israel's history, and especially in the Christmas story, is the exact opposite of that. God does care. God has acted. God is not absent. God enters into our suffering and he acts on our behalf. But the consistent response of humanity throughout the ages has not been gratitude to God. It has often been grumbling. You see, as human beings, we often complain about God's provision. We criticize God not so much for acting, but we criticize him for the way that he has acted. We distrust him when he brings the instrument of our salvation and blessing. And this is certainly the case for Israel as the Messiah enters into the scene. You see, the problem with humanity is not first and foremost that we need to be rescued from our oppressors or delivered from our circumstances. The main problem with humanity is that we need to be humbled before the Lord. The main problem with humanity is that we often refuse to see God in his actions. Even though God acts with grace and mercy and decisiveness, we are blinded to the goodness of God in all of the things that he brings into our lives in order to conform us into the image of, of Christ. At the heart of God's salvation, beloved, is a rescuing of us from ourselves. And he does this through the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary here recognizing, recognizes that the saving God of Israel has fulfilled his promise and has sent the Savior of the world into the Lord, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe, just maybe, those who criticize God for not acting on behalf of humanity are just too proud to recognize that God has acted. What we notice in our text for this morning is that there is a necessary prerequisite, so to speak, to receiving God's mercy. What the text tells us this morning is that God pays attention to the humble and the hungry. And what we learn throughout Luke's gospel is that first and foremost, God has in mind those who are humble in, spar in, in spirit and hunger for righteousness. If you're following along this morning, that's your second fill-in. 
Not only does Mary magnify the Lord, but the Lord lifts up the humble. The Lord lifts up the humble. Notice the stark contrast throughout these verses starting in verse 50. It says this, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Verse 50 states the reality of the world that God has made and the world in which we live. And so hear this statement very closely, beloved. God shows his mercy to those who fear him. You see, beloved, there is no room for the proud of heart In the kingdom of God. And the reason is because God's kingdom is a kingdom of mercy. It is a kingdom where God receives all the glory and man is put in his proper place. What we notice here in our text is that this hymn that Mary pens in this passage begins and ends with the mercy of God. Notice it in verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Verse 54. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. Our God is a God of mercy. Jesus Christ is a merciful Savior. And His mercy is shown to those who fear Him. Now certainly, this fear is not the cowering type of fear, necessarily. God is to be feared for His strength and power, for He is the most powerful being, but that is not the sense of the word fear here. Here, the fear of the Lord is more of a relational fear. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that we are to fear God because in relation to God, we are very small and He is very great. And in light of our smallness, we should show God a proper respect. The fear here is not the same kind of fear you would have if a burglar were to break into your home to do you harm. The fear here is the kind of fear you feel at the edge of a cliff or the bottom of a falling tree. When you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon or at the top of a high peak in the Adirondacks, 
and you look out over the vast landscape and realize the great heights upon which you stand, the sense you have in that moment is one of smallness. It is a sense of awe and wonder and even a feeling of apprehension at how great the vista is and how small you are in light of it. You see, beloved, you tread more carefully, I hope, although for my kids it may not be the case, but you tread more carefully on the top of a mountain or the edge of a cliff than you do in your living room. Or for those who have cut down a tree, even a small tree, you know that the size, weight, and force of that tree could do great damage to you if it fell on you. And so when you cut down a tree, you use great care and caution to where that tree is falling and where you are standing in relation to it falling. You see, that tree deserves your undivided attention because of what it could do to you. It deserves your respect and a healthy fear. When a subject enters into the throne room of a great king, he is taken back by the splendor of his might. And what we find here in our text is that Mary's desire is to magnify the Lord. The Mary's desire is to show how great and wonderful the Lord is. If a mountain is tall and imposing and intimidating, God is all the more tall and imposing and intimidating. If a tree is great and heavy and evokes uneasiness, how much greater is the Lord our God? The fear here is one that is not incited by harm necessarily, not to say that isn't completely inappropriate, but one that is brought on by the greatness of our God. Again, Mary takes a page right out of the Psalms here. Psalm 33, verse 13 through 22, which you can find on the insert in your bulletin. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. Those verses should make you feel very small. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope. In his steadfast love. That he may deliver their soul from death. And keep them alive in famine. Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him. Because we trust 
in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Verses 18 through 22 of Psalm 33 are a perfect description of those who are humble in heart. It is those who see the greatness of the Lord God and fall at his feet that he might extend his mercy and grace to them as he is eager to do. God is a God of mercy. God delights in showing mercy to the humble. And therefore the Lord is calling upon each one of us this morning to humble ourselves before the Lord. To recognize that there is no great strength in our arms. That there is no great wealth in our resources. That none of those things can save us. That only the Lord Jesus Christ can save us. What Luke is doing here by recording Mary's psalm is that he is setting the tone for his gospel. And he is seeking to impress upon our hearts that unless you understand yourself to be small and sickly, you will never turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for his help and his healing. Luke is setting the tone of chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What Mary's hymn of magnifying the Lord is intended to do is to put us in our proper place. The Lord blessed Mary who was small and insignificant and beloved the Lord will bless us too if we recognize our own smallness and insignificance because beloved we all need the Lord. The proud in his heart may think that he is in no need of Jesus Christ as Savior But what we understand from this text is that it is those kind of people whom the Lord turns away. And so this morning, beloved, would you humble yourself before the Lord? Would you confess your great need of a Savior? And would you turn to Jesus Christ, who is truly the Savior of the Lord? And might we all sing, Joy to the Lord, For our Savior has come. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful for your grace towards us. We're so thankful for this text of Scripture. We're so thankful for this hymn of praise that you have recorded for us and preserved for us down through history. Father, may you do a great work in our hearts and in our lives. Father, if there are those here this morning who have yet to humble themselves before God and seen their sin for the corruption that it is and that there is nothing that they can do to save themselves, Father, would you work upon their hearts even now? 
Would the Spirit bring about conviction? Would it cause them to turn from themselves and turn to the Lord and His salvation in Jesus Christ? And Father, for those who are here this morning and who have trusted in Christ for their salvation, may they continue to see themselves as those who are in need of your constant grace and mercy. May we turn from the proud, the, uh, the pride of our hearts, and may we throw ourselves upon your grace in order that you might do your work in and through us. Jesus, you are a great Savior. And it is for this that we magnify you this morning. We are so thankful for it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us now as we sing our song of proclamation once upon. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 9, 6 through 7, we read, For to a child is born, 